Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back with the bye week. Some people hate the word bye to reference what's happening this week. The off week for the Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Buckeye Talk. I'm Doug Maurice. I'm here with Bill Landis and Ari Wasserman. We are from Cleveland.com. You can find our Ohio State coverage every day at Cleveland.com slash OSU. But I'm going to guess that if you're listening to this, you're already doing that because uh, you want to hear us talk the way you like to see what we uh, have to write. So thank you for joining us. We have an interesting topic that Ari Wasserman broached as we were discussing what we should be saying about the Buckeyes after they beat Oklahoma on the road. Ohio State number two in the country this week, according to many people, not according to Bill Landis. We'll ask him about that. <laughs> the Buckeyes are off this week, and then they open Big Ten play the next week against Rutgers. Um, so we want to talk about something that can percolate for a while. And Ari used the A word, and it's <laughs> a magic word. Sometimes we talk about magic words and headlines because we know what you guys really like to read about. There are certain players. There are certain things. And I think Alabama is a magic word for Ohio State fans in a lot of ways. And so, Ari, since you sort of uh, brought up the idea, tell the people what we'll be talking about. What is your question that we are going to be discussing on Buckeye Talk? Has Ohio State reached Alabama's level in terms of foundations built by programs in college football? Meaning, has Ohio State gotten to the point, like Alabama, over the course of the past seven years, going on a decade, built with what Urban Meyer has created to compete no matter what the circumstances are every single year to win or potentially just be in the mix to win a national championship? Like the A-word. The (laughs) A-word. We've used the other A-word sometimes between us and not meant Alabama. I think the most interesting part of this is as it relates to people who aren't experts on that team. Um, Because, tell me if you guys disagree with this, but when you think about the preseason and when you were thinking about, you know, we all make national championship picks each year. You guys last year both picked Alabama to win the national championship, and you both were correct. I picked Ohio State and I was wrong. When you made that pick... Is it because you had done an exhaustive breakdown of the Alabama roster and decided man for man, talent across the board, I like their secondary, their tight end is a great weapon, their offensive line is young, but they have a bunch of good recruits there? Or did you just go, oh, Alabama's good, and pick Alabama? I looked at rankings. <clears throat> yeah. Just rankings that I look at. 
recruiting rankings. No, it's yeah, it's not. I didn't. I wasn't pouring through Alabama's roster, seeing yeah, it was after Alabama, I'm going to pick them in the national title. It's like every other year you pick them. Oh, the yeah. team that's been to the championship every single year since I was five years old is on the schedule again. Okay, go ahead and plus I always like you know looking at the coach and. Nick Saban's a wizard. So. But, but mostly it's because you expected Alabama to be Alabama. Regardless of the specifics, you figured Alabama would be Alabama. And again, this year, regardless of the specifics, people expect Alabama to be Alabama. And guess what? A lot of years, Alabama doesn't even have a quarterback. We look at every other team, you go, who's their quarterback? I always said, who is look at the offensive line and defensive line and look at the quarterback. Who's the quarterback? Alabama... <laughs> When Ohio State beat Alabama in the national semifinal, Alabama was playing a guy who wasn't really a quarterback at quarterback. Wait, Blake who? Sims wasn't Blake a quarterback. Sims. He was a running back. Who's our quarterback this year again? He's a true freshman, right? Well, they don't, they don't know yet. I don't think they know yet. It's like the thing they do is they start a season with like four guys. By week three, it's two guys. And then if it's a close game where they lose, which almost happened, then they settle on a guy. So like, we'll know next week who the number one quarterback is. So but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and nobody gets really wound up about it, right? So... Before we we delve too much into um, should Ohio State and, – and that I think is the interesting thing. I mean you sort of stated the premise there, Ari, but it's almost the idea to me of like is it just that to the outside world when you look at Ohio State every year, should you just assume they're going to be a national title contender and you don't even know who the players are? And, and maybe – and we can talk about this – I said this after the game that on some level, and some people aren't going to like this, on some level, covering Ohio State is almost frustrating to me because you spend an offseason breaking things down and they lost 16 starters and who's going to step up here and is Malcolm Pridgen or Isaiah Prince going to be the starter at right tackle and is Chris Worley or Jerome Baker going to be the outside linebacker and who covers better and who's better against the run and what are they going to do in the secondary? Is it going to be Damon Webb? Is it going to be Cam Burroughs? Is it going to be, are we sure Malik Hooker deserves to win that job? How can they rotate these corners and do this? Are they going to throw the tight end this year? Are they going to miss Nick Vanette? Are they going to have two running backs? How can they replace Ezekiel Elliott? Is JT Barrett going to be the guy if he's not looking over his shoulder? Who's going to be the number one receiver? They have 10 receivers. Is that good? Is that bad? Do they need three guys to step up? You do all these things. Can they beat Oklahoma on the road? And then everybody who just loves Ohio State just says, ah, they're the Buckeyes, man. They're going to be undefeated. And you think, God, you're such a homer. You are such. You just see the world through scholar-colored glasses. You have no ability to actually break down and analyze your own team. You're living in a dream world. And then guess what? Year after year, everybody out there who just says, ah, Buckeyes, don't be a hater, is right. <laughs> And I said they were going to be 9-3, and three, and there's already somebody on Twitter saying, like, 9-3, uh, and three, dude. And it was good natured. It was one of our readers. I, yeah. I, and we're, we, we'll take that. Yeah. And that's great. Well, it means you're reading, and we appreciate that. But, but. but it's because we tried to break it down. We tried to analyze it. We tried to wonder. And are we at the – and I don't know, in Alabama, do the Alabama writers anymore analyze anything, or do they just go, oh, they'll probably win the title? <laughs> and then you're right. And then you're right. So – that to me, before we ask if they're if they are gonna be like Alabama, let me ask this of you guys first. Has Ohio State already been Alabama and we are late to acknowledging it? And and I don't mean in winning national titles, because they only have one, but 2012 undefeated regular season, 
some people say they would have been in the national championship game if they would have been eligible for it. I still disagree with that, but they were certainly one of the top, I think, three teams in the country that year. 2013, undefeated regular season. If they had beaten Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship, they would have been in the national championship game. 2014, lose early. No, we say, no, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. No, they're not going to make it. They make it. They win the national championship. 2015, they're unanimous, number one, to start the year. They go 10-0. and They lose the one game they can't lose, and they fall short of the playoff with the most talent. Four straight years, when you look at the regular season, they were there. If you just had said Ohio State, you would have been very close to being right. Are they already this? Are they, if, if the question is, are they Alabama, I think what we really mean is, are they so good it doesn't matter who the players are? You just put them in national title contention. Are they already there and we've been late to the party in not seeing it? Did I kind of do that after week one? When you said they were a national title contender because they beat a MAC team? Yeah. Probably. I still don't think they're there. And we yet. gave you a hard time for it because yeah. we did not believe – that they had entered the Alabama universe of just being good because they're good. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking after that. Even though I was right, I don't. I still kind of feel like I jumped the gun. But but with that but, but that track but record, that, uh, that track record, this is year five. It's not like Urban Meyer just got here. It's year five. Yeah. Should they already have earned that distinction coming into this year? Should the world have thrown up their hands and said, I'm picking Ohio State. I don't care if they're the least experienced team in college football. I'm picking them because one way or the other, they're going to be good. Maybe. I don't know. I guess in hindsight, maybe, yeah. I I, I certainly wasn't there. And the thing I don't know about Alabama is I think I think part of the reason, I, at least I was hesitant, and I think anyone who was hesitant was that way, was because they were so young. And they had to replace so many starters, and they had a double-digit NFL draft class. And for as good as Alabama's been, I don't know if Alabama has seen that drastic of a roster turnover. And maybe they have. I don't have the stats in front of me. But I don't feel like they have from year to year while they've been on this run over the last seven years. And that, for me, was why I did not think that Ohio State was in that in that same realm. Because I had to see what was going to happen when you did lose that many good players. There was so much talent that went out the door. And I know they recruit well. But I, I, I'm not... I'm not buying in. For some reason, I didn't buy into the recruiting rankings for Ohio State the way I did for Alabama. Maybe that was wrong because, like I already said in the beginning, I pick Alabama to win the national championship because you look at the recruiting rankings and they have a number one class every year, so you just assume they're awesome. But Ohio State's had top five classes. Why don't we just assume they're awesome? But you have made this point in the past, and I'm with you. I cover recruiting every day. We think about recruiting. We talk about it as a team. We cover it as a team. The coolest team ever, Cleveland.com, is the Ohio State coverage team. <laughs> Just think of us every year as national champions. Uh, but you said it. Well, there was a drastic difference between Alabama's five stars and Ohio State's five stars. So there is. And you a made reason. that point, yeah. and you made that point very well before they played two years ago. Right, and we we've written about that. So even though Ohio State's recruited very well, there was still a big step below Alabama. So Alabama deserves a little bit more credit in that in that realm than Ohio State does, just from the. Star ranking system. I think that the matters. the number what we I, th- I think it was last week we might have said it. The yeah, number it was like thir- in the last three recruiting classes, like thirteen to three or something. Thirteen to two, I think. To two, yeah, five stars. Now Ohio State has six committed in one class, which is absurd. If they sign all six of them, then you know maybe it's a new era. But um, I, I don't know if did this Oklahoma game really because I don't know if they're there yet. But maybe Oklahoma isn't as good as we thought. But if Oklahoma is very good. 
or at least a top 20 team, and Ohio State did what they did on the road to them, does that kind of the gateway to the beginning of that thought process? Because they lost all those people. This is a year that all three of us picked them to at least lose two games this year. Now that it seems like those were all, it's a long season, anything can happen. You know, I don't know if I'm going to pencil them in as national champions too soon, uh, but... But then you don't buy the premise. If you're not penciling them in for the playoff right now, then I think you would you would disagree with the premise that they're I, Alabama. I think that they still have to prove it. I would agree with that. Um, I think that the discussion that we're having is warranted. If Ohio State wins the national championship this year, I will come into next year thinking that way, I think. Just, like, put them in the playoff. Yeah. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. But why, why delve into it too much? Just figure it out. Because Alabama isn't just good every year. They've won four out of seven titles, you know, and I think Ohio State's going to be good every year. I don't know if they're going to win four out of seven titles, but if you think about it after the fact, and Ohio State goes and wins a national championship this year somehow, they do it. Then that's two out of three, and they return a lot of the team that they have for next year, potentially. And the thing that I And then you're off to the races. It's going to be the crazy thing. And this is getting way ahead of ourselves, but the thing that could be the crazy thing as we look back on this is I think last year's team might be their best team. Like this is going to be, and I made this point, this was a point a lot of people made 10 years ago. Um, The 2005 Ohio State team that I covered that lost twice in the regular season lost to Texas and Vince Young at home and then lost to Penn State uh, at Penn State, I thought was a better team than the 2006 or 2007 teams that went to the national title game. Like if you had played on the field the 2005 Ohio State team versus the 2006 team that went undefeated during the regular season that was number one the whole year, I think 05 would have won. I think generally a lot of people might think that 05 was the best team in Trussell's era. So I just based on like... They still had Santonio Holmes then, right, plus Ted Ginn, plus Anthony Gonzalez. You had Troy Smith, who was, I think, sort of at the peak of his run pass mm-hmm. ability, that he was more of a thrower in 06 and he was more of a runner in, in 04. Um, you had the great defense because after 05, they defense, lost yeah. so many really good defensive players that they lost A.J. Hawk. They lost Dante Whitner. Um, that was the team that had five first-round picks. Nick Mangold at center was gone before the 6 team. Bobby Carpenter was another first-round pick defensively. Um, but that team didn't get it for, you know, Texas, they had they had roadblocks on the field, right? So last year's team had the roadblock on the field and didn't win a national championship. But again, I think if you would have played them head-to-head, um, that's the better team. But that's the kind of the- thing you start talking about when you start talking about teams – that are so good, it doesn't matter who their players are. You just assume they're going to be in the playoff. Then you, that's when you start talking about, oh, yeah, they have a couple titles, but this other team that didn't get there was even better. That was crazy. <laughs> the 05 team was crazy good. And the 05 team, that was the Texas year, right? I'm thinking correctly. Yeah. yeah. They, Lots they of lost Texas. The, the drop touchdown pass, and then Vince Young went on to win the national championship in the most – Exciting national title game, maybe in uh, college football history. Right, anyway, now, we're on okay. now we're on a tangent. Let me ask you this. Here's, here's what I thought, why I would not have, in, coming into this year, have put Ohio State at this Alabama, just assume they're going to be in the playoff level. Because I thought that was coming. I thought the 17 class maybe was going to be the start of that. 
because this 17 class already is a, is a step above recruiting wise, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, like five stars like, in like the last five years combined. Like that's next level stuff. So I thought, no, not yet. But maybe in 18, 19, 20, if they keep adding similar recruiting, class, right? Bill, do you think, did you, were you holding off on this type of discussion for a year or two to see what that 17 class did on the field? I was. I even, I even thought about that at the beginning of the 2015 season. We did that Buck Dynasty series. And I, maybe I'm misremembering this, but I, I thought that uh, certainly last year they had a chance to win a title, even though I didn't pick them to win. But then I didn't think they would have another a chance to win a title again until maybe 2017 or 2018, just because we knew all the talent that was leaving. Um, we knew the players who were going to be freshmen this year and redshirt freshmen were good, but it wasn't an Alabama-type recruiting class. 2017's class is. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I, well, in, my, in my head, coming into last season, I thought that next year and the years after that would be the start of this kind of Alabama-type dynasty. And what's interesting to me, too, is that the 2013 class that helped them win the 2014 National Championship wasn't rated like an Alabama class. So, But it was his best class. It was his best class, but it still first was... First or second a, in the country, though? Right? It was not first. It was two. It was two. It was two. And okay. I think Alabama's class was considerably better that year. And that On was, a and ranking had, standpoint. And I'm not saying it wasn't a great class. It was Urban Meyer's best class. Urban Meyer's best class, right. But Urban but Meyer's best not. class is still a step behind what Alabama's been putting together regularly. Every so, year. Every year. Okay. So, you know, and I think that's the exact point we're trying to make here with that. I think it's, Which I think is an interesting point of holding off... Because again, the recruiting rankings, if anybody thinks recruiting doesn't matter, I think we always fight about a fight against that idea. You fight against that idea, Ari. People love to point out the three star and two star guys who are going in the first round and all that kind of stuff, and the five stars who are busts and whatever. But on average, the teams that recruit the best win the most, correct? It's fact. It's not even debatable. Yeah. So, um, this goes a little bit to the developed here, I think, a little bit idea of Ohio State that, that I um, sort of asked about this the other week of, of they really have been – haven't they been pushing this? This developed here thing is definitely a thing. Urban hey, kinda, T-shirts. Urban kind of pushed it off on Mark Pantone, their recruiting guy. is like, ah, he's the guy who makes up slogans. I don't know what's going on. But they, they I think, clearly want to be known as a place that doesn't just recruit guys and just – you recruit talent and then – the talent is good. They want to be known as a place that develops guys. But I guess are we saying that if they're in this – we're having this discussion now when they haven't quite recruited to the Alabama level, do you think that development part has been working about as well as it's working anywhere in the country? I had a friend that was listening to Dave Wanstead's podcast, and he said that Wanstead said that Urban Meyer develops players like nobody else. He basically said that – First-year starters at Ohio State are more prepared than four-year starters at most other schools. And my response to that was, well, it's easy to be more prepared than most starters at other schools when you're really, really good. But I wonder if there is a development factor because there certainly is no question that if you're really, really good and you're above everybody else and you come to Ohio State, then when you leave after being in a program like Ohio State, you're going to be good. But the question isn't so much about the NFL draft development as much as it is is the prepared the preparation between day one of getting on campus and starting as a redshirt freshman. And what we've seen so far from a lot of the players who have no experience on the field this year, the development has been fast. So I think that is more interesting than does he develop them for the NFL draft. And I'll debate anybody, you know, Stefan Diggs, if anybody watched the, the Sunday night football game, stayed home. He was a very good player, and now he's going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. I think if you're really good, 
and you go to a Division One program, they're going to find you. But is there a difference between the development of being on the field early that you find at Ohio State that might not be there at other places? I always think that every, every time I see Stephon Diggs in the NFL from Minnesota, I think about how he was the guy. He was really the one guy Urban didn't get, right, that first year from Maryland, stayed in Maryland. Biggest exception ever because Urban wanted him, offers from everybody, stayed home to play for Maryland. Yeah, and it's fu- funny one of those – I think he ended up being a fifth-round pick out of Maryland, and you think maybe if he would have come to Ohio State, what would he have been? I always like kind of feel good. I respect kids who stay home and play for their home state school, yeah. but then you think, man, did you kind of blow it? Did you hurt yourself because you don't have as much talent around you? So I'm, it's nice to see Stephon Diggs having but, a kind of career he's had in the NFL. Maybe he would have been a second-round pick if he played somewhere else. Yeah. But I think the bottom line is that if you've got it, then you've got it, in my opinion. But, yeah, I do, I do think – you need help developing it, and I think having good players around you helps you show that and develop it too. Um, but Bill, like I think a good example of this, of what we're just talking about, that it's more than just recruiting. A guy like Malik Hooker, when Malik Hooker goes from a guy who was a high school basketball player, we all know that story. We're not talking about a five-star kid, but we're talking about a guy who has a redshirt sophomore, is starting for the first time, redshirted his first year, did nothing last year, was just not was just not part of the mix at all. He started three games, and people are already talking about he's going to go to the NFL after this year, and he's already showing up as a, as a playmaker. Is that the kind of – what does that tell you about what Ohio State is doing right now when you look at Malik Hooker? I think it tells you uh, – I, I touched on this last – was it last – when did we do the Awesome Podcast? Was that last week? Why Ohio State is so awesome? Two year, I think it was two weeks ago. Every yeah. every podcast, podcast is yeah, basically going to be. Now we're awesome. just staying with awesome. Everybody. But anyway, you asked me one of the things that I, I thought was awesome, and Ari, <laughs> Ari stole recruiting, which was like the overarching, of course, that's the thing. Um, I said the assistant coaches, and I thought they did. I said I thought the assistant coaches did a really good job with developing players. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Malik Hooker has now worked with Chris Ash, and I guess he got two years with Chris Ash, right? Two years with Chris Ash, and now he's had an off season and, and the beginning of this season with Greg Schiano. It's two pretty good guys who were sort of molding the Ohio State safeties. Um, and I'm not trying to take credit away from Malik Hooker because he's a fantastic athlete. And uh, this is a bit of a side note on Malik Hooker. If Malik Hooker had played football his entire high school career, he probably would have been a five-star prospect, not a three-star prospect. He was a three-star prospect because he played basketball and liked that more. Um, so I think this, that's my mini rant on Malik Hooker. Three-star to star is an interesting story, but I don't think he's actually a three-star. Yeah, He's a crazy athlete. Um, but it does tell you, I think th- – just being a crazy athlete is not enough, and I think we've seen that plenty of times throughout college football. Um, Malik Hooker seems to know how to play the safety position in football pretty well, and it's not just playing center field and, and tracking down poorly thrown deep balls. I thought even against Oklahoma, you know, he was covering some guys. Um, he was making some good tackles. Uh, he looked like a, a instinct, instinctual football player, but a, a guy who was coached up, I think, pretty good technique-wise, and I think that tells you um, – the level to which Ohio State is getting guys ready, because that guy has only been playing football for like three years, uh, and that he's at the level he's at now is, is pretty astonishing. Okay, so we'll take a quick break here for where you and your business could have an ad on the Buckeye Talk podcast here with Cleveland.com. The podcasts that I do listen to, a lot of them have these same ads for a Blue Apron, mm-hmm. and uh, there's the one, there's a thing that delivers underwear to you. Oh, and me undies. Me undies, mm-hmm. and then there's one that uh, delivers your whole wardrobe to you, like through the mail. This is my question. Do you guys, would you want your clothes or like fully prepared meals 
delivered to you like that? Is that a thing now? Is that is that the millennial generation just deliver me everything? Or maybe they're aiming it at my generation and like we're all kind of middle-aged and lazy and we don't want to go to the store. It seems like the whole world can just be delivered to you fully prepared. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a funny thing about me that you're going to make fun of. But last week, I really wanted ice cream and I couldn't get it. So I did, or I couldn't get off the couch to go get it. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> get ice cream. I so. could get it. I couldn't get up. So Amazon Prime has this thing now where you can sign up and they can have groceries delivered to you. I was laying on my couch just wearing gym shorts and I was like filling out the subscribe to Amazon Prime thing. And I looked and there was like a reflection in the glass of my computer screen and I looked at myself. I said, are you really signing up on Amazon Prime and going to buy $20 of groceries just to have somebody deliver ice cream to you? And it's like, my life is spiraling out of control. I closed it. I got up. And then I ended up not even getting the ice cream because I was so disgusted with myself. But Amazon Prime, if you're really fat and you want, and you don't want to make any changes in your life, we'll bring you ice cream to your front door. I, I will admit that in the Lane Reese house, we have used that service one time to have things delivered that we could not live without, that we needed like right then. And the two things we had delivered were toilet paper and bacon. So I don't know. That's the same thing. I don't know if that's any. Any yeah. better than the ice cream story, but but do you, Bill? Do you want clothes delivered to you? Do you want a wardrobe delivered to you? I think the thing that's nice about those companies that send you a wardrobe is like if you have a personal stylist, because it's not just here's a box of jeans. It's like you have a conversation with someone on the internet about your personal style, and I don't. I guess it's kind of hard to find things that fit you well when you're buying clothes from a stranger you never see on the internet. Um, but I think they kind of tailor it to you, so it would be nice, I guess, to have someone. Not just send you clothes, but like develop a style based on what you like and your body type. But if you're like, you. if you're five foot eleven, and I can't 185 do pounds, and you are perfectly fit, then it would be an awesome service. I'm the same size as Vince Wolfork, so I can't do that. <laughs> so like, it's Have like overalls delivered. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like if you had one of those bodies where I'm just going to go to Nordstrom and everything that's on the mannequin fits me just like it looks on the mannequin, then it would be an awesome service, and I'd want to do it. I'm particular about the way things fit, and I like trying stuff on before I buy it. So I like the idea, but I don't have the V thing that goes into your abs. Yeah. So yeah. I can't have it done that way. I would, what however. We, I think we're talking out a potential business idea now where we have this service for fat guys. <laughs> fat? Oh, wow. Wait, overweight clothes. I think where this you all have the designer jeans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when I walk in, I don't even know what a nice clothes store is, but like, yeah. What did you say? What store did you say? Nordstrom. Nordstrom. They don't have clothes that fit me in Nordstrom. They have a Nordstrom rack. We can make a Nordstrom fat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, I would do – does Blue Apron a diet thing or is it just a I convenience thing? I think it's just thing? nice food. Oh, okay. But it's not it, – it, it's not um, – you still cook. Yeah, but it's, it's not just like a box they're, they're of not like, ingredients. Right? But yeah, but they're not, like, sending you, like, TV dinners at your microwave. Like, no, you have to do the preparation not. and the cooking. I thought maybe they put it, like uh, – in a nice warm box, and uh, no. you just open it up, and it's like Those box to market. Or it's here, like a warm bowl <laughs> yeah. of soup in there for no, you. No, the no, cooking is what I struggle with, not the acquiring of the ingredients. But I do think so. That idea, if you could get it, big and tall clothes delivered, and ice cream with it, and yeah. you know, we would stylish. It doesn't have to just be clothes. big and tall. I mean, everybody has a normal, a normal. Yeah. Not, not everybody is a body. model body. Mo- yeah. Model body. But I just I. And one last business idea, then we'll get back to Ohio State football, but I do think that there should be designer jeans that once they pass the point where your shirt goes over it, should be sweatpants tops. 
Like an elastic, yeah. Yeah, like an elastic sweatpants. Like, it's like jeans from, like, your pocket down, but, like, where your shirt goes down, it turns into, like, sweatpants. I'm pretty sure those exist in pregnant women wear them. (laughs) (laughs) See? So then I'm right. Because they have have the company now that has uh, the shirts that are designed to be worn untucked, because everybody was wearing the untucked shirt that were really designed to be tucked in. But the next evolution of that is the jeans that are designed to be worn with untucked shirts with a comfortable sweatpant waistband. Right. Yeah. And then, like, I'll wear jeans all the time. Yeah, you're going to get rich off that. I Would you buy those, Bill? Yeah, okay. I would buy those. Yeah. Sign us up. <laughs> Um, okay, we'll get back but to the... But the fabric has to also blend in. But okay. It can't, you can't look like it's like Everlast. It doesn't go from jeans to Everlast fabric. It's jeans all the way up. It's just you blend it well yeah. together. And then but, then if you, there was a, a, a little peak that came through the untucked shirt that it wouldn't be obvious. Right. 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 Okay. okay. This is good. Um, yeah, we'll take investors on that idea <laughs> if anybody wants to uh, get us on Twitter. Okay, here's a question I want to ask you guys as we get back to talking Buckeyes here on Buckeye Talk. The Cleveland.com coverage team. This is Doug Lee Maurice with Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis. The thing that I think is another step of this evolution for Ohio State is two years ago, and I sort of wrote about this after the Oklahoma game when I talked about how much better uh, the Buckeyes are in their playoff positioning than they've ever been this early in the year, in the three-year history of the college football playoff. Two years ago, we believed Ohio State could not get in the playoff after that opening loss to Virginia Tech, and a large part of that was based not on Ohio State, but was based on the Big Ten. And we thought the Big Ten was going to drag them down because it wasn't a good enough conference and wasn't going to give them good enough wins. The Big Ten is clearly better, okay? The Big Ten is clearly better. We can have that be a whole podcast discussion one day. The SEC is now taking some hits, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like when people talk about Alabama and the SEC – Yes, Alabama is in the SEC, but I do not think that the SEC potentially being down is viewed as a strike against Alabama because I think Alabama is such a monster. It has risen above its own conference that, yes, it's in the SEC, but when you talk about the SEC, you don't just lump Alabama in with LSU (coughs) and Ole Miss and Georgia and Auburn and everybody else down there. You think of them in their own way. Is it, would you agree with that, that Alabama Alabama is viewed differently than other teams in the SEC? Yeah, I think I think that's certainly the case. I also think, and I, I don't mean to stop your um, thought like five-minute rant? Yeah. yeah, but I just I think that um, it, it could change. Like, if, Alabama, if, the, if the SEC is deemed to be on some sort of downslide, and Alabama is still certainly the cream of the crop, and then, like, Alabama – maybe goes to the playoff but doesn't win a championship in the next two years, then I think that they, while they still might have the benefit of the doubt as a team that is probably going to be in the playoff race, I think that the whatever the level of the SEC is then starts to affect you. The reason that it hasn't is because Alabama still wins national championships. But if this run, not, not even stopped, but just sort of slowed down a little bit, then I think the perception of the SEC does start to hurt Alabama. That I think will be interesting to track um, going forward. I would I would maybe argue that if Alabama continues to do what Alabama does, which is, you know, maybe if, even if they're not winning titles, but they're winning regular season games and getting in the playoff, and even if you lose, showing, what, showing yourself to be a pretty good team. I guess my point is I think Ohio State, as much as the Big Ten is better, I don't feel like Ohio State's fortunes are tied to the Big Ten anymore. I don't know that that you have to think now that – 
Ohio State has beaten Oklahoma, just the way people are viewing Ohio State. I don't know that if you're Ohio State, you have to think, boy, I hope Wisconsin's really good. So if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, that Wisconsin win's really good. Or, or you have to hope that Nebraska's really good. So that can be a really good win. I feel like Ohio State, even as Michigan State and Michigan are absolutely right there with them, and Michigan State has beaten them twice in the last four years, and Michigan's on the rise, I feel like Ohio State stands on its own sort of at this point. And so I think that to me would be something that would make them similar to what Alabama has become to the point where regardless of your conference, you rise above that a little bit and you are in control of your own destiny because of who you are and your reputation year after year. And you don't have to rely on your schedule and your conference to help push you up. Agree or disagree? I think I agree with that a lot because Ohio State was the polar opposite of that five or six years ago when they were losing every single game for three or four years against premier opponents on uh, you know, the grand stage, the only thing they had to prove their point otherwise was conference wins. Because now in the playoff system, in order to win a national championship, you've got to win a conference title game, a playoff game. And then so there's a lot of extra games that are being played now in this current era that weren't being played in the past. So if you lost a non-conference game and you lost a bowl game, that's it for an entire year of, of what you have to show for yourself. So I think that Ohio State in general not only has won their non-conference games, um, but they've done things with Urban Meyer um, at the helm in the playoff and in the postseason now that they've been able to detach themselves from the Big Ten. I think they've done enough to prove themselves on a national stage where whether or not they have a quality win over Wisconsin is really much of a, a deal breaker. The only time I think that conference strength is really going to get in isn't so much about persona as much as it is about having a resume to get in the playoff in a one-loss year. So I think there's still a value in having a good conference, but I don't necessarily think Ohio State's ever going to live and die by how valuable um, a win at Nebraska is going to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I agree. <clears throat> I agree with that too. And I th- part of it is too, because we're in this era where you're scheduling, you're, you're not conference schedule is better. I think if you're in Alabama or in Ohio State, uh, you don't need to prove yourself as much as some other teams do. So if you have one game, like say Ohio State played Oklahoma this year, and they play Oklahoma next year, and they play TCU in the future in Texas and Notre Dame. If you're playing games like that, even if the Big Ten is not as good, you can prove yourself in the non-conference. And I think if you're a program, and it's probably only unique to Ohio State and Alabama, if you're that kind of program, you only need to prove yourself once or twice throughout a season, and who your conference is won't bring you down, I think, in the eyes of the people who are deciding whether or not you go to the playoff. All right, let's hit a couple uh, reader questions. We hope you guys are already following us on Twitter. Uh, if you're not, you can follow us at Ari Wasserman, at Doug LaMaurice, and at Bill Landis25. Uh, we put out the request every week on Twitter on Mondays. We uh, always record this podcast on Mondays. We ask on Mondays for your Twitter questions, and I think we have a couple this week, Bill. I do. Um, I don't know if Ari, you have any, but I have a couple we can answer. Um, so I'll run through mine first. Uh, Black Stripe blog who's always pretty good about sending in questions. And this is an interesting one I was thinking about today as I was driving over here to get ready to record the podcast. Um, will Jerome Baker remain starting outside linebacker opposite of Chris Worley? Uh, Jerome Baker has played the last two weeks, started the last two weeks in place of Dante Booker, who has a sprained MCL. Um, that doesn't seem like an injury that's going to keep Dante Booker out for the year. Ohio State has a bye week. Booker could very well be healthy when Ohio State plays Rutgers uh, in the first weekend of October. Jerome Baker had seven tackles, a sack and a half, and a pick six against Oklahoma. I think he's played really well. So what do we think they're going to do with Jerome Baker 
when they're in a situation where they have a healthy Baker, a healthy Worley, and a healthy Dante Booker. I want to hear your answer first because you said you were thinking about it. So I'm curious what you have decided. The thing is, I, I if you would have asked me this two weeks ago, before if you would have asked me this before the Tulsa game, I would have said that maybe they put Dante Booker back in his starting spot uh, and then put Jerome Baker in for Chris Worley because I assumed – at the beginning of the season, when Chris Worley beat out the, Jerome Baker for that, uh, this is the Sam linebacker, right? This, yes, the Sam linebacker spot that Dante Booker would eventually take that job from Chris <coughs> Worley, and then I thought Chris Worley Jerome played, Baker. Sorry, Jerome yeah. Baker would take that job from Chris Worley, and then I thought Chris Worley played really good against Tulsa. Um, I think he played fine against Oklahoma. I don't think Chris Worley has played poorly enough to warrant losing his job. Jerome Baker's been really good, and Dante Booker hasn't played. And I think Dante Booker could be really good. He was Mister Football. But if they're in a position where they're looking to put three best linebackers on the field, I don't think that's or Dante Booker right now. So I think Jerome Baker will be the starter um, against Rutgers, even if Dante Booker's healthy. Because Ohio State's plan, if everything goes according to plan, probably would be Booker, McMillan, and Baker. I thought that was their best three. That was the plan. The I mean, that's the. Yeah. I don't. I would maybe disagree. That was the plan because again, Luke Fickle no, no. said some really good stuff about Worley in preseason. I'm not saying that was the plan. I'm saying on paper, okay, young. In general, the general plan. Not. I wasn't. I didn't mean that their plan was always to start uh, Baker over Worley. I just mean the general plan is to get young, talented recruits onto the field with enough experience to get let loose. So what I'm saying now is that if Booker comes in and plays similarly to the what we've seen from Baker in his time and makes plays, then there's a chance that the three best linebackers on the team are young studs and maybe not Worley. But at this point, I agree with Bill in saying that I think we've seen a lot out of Worley. Uh, I think at the beginning of the year or beginning of fall camp, I think the general assumption was that he's the oldest guy, so he's going to get the first crack at it and then lose his job. But I do think that he's played well enough to keep that job. I want to see if Booker is better than Baker because we haven't seen Booker do it yet. And that's always the thing for me. So um, it's very interesting. I don't know. I don't. I don't think we've seen enough of Dante Booker. I mean, we've seen him for half. And people said a lot of great stuff about him uh, in the spring and in the preseason. I mean, he just locked down that job. You know, again, the competition, as you guys said, was really in Baker. The two sure starters at linebacker were Booker and McMillan. And I'm... (laughs) I have a plan to do something with this. I think Ari's going to write about this this week. But I told Kerry Combs in the spring that I didn't, to, to his face, the cornerback's coach, that I didn't believe him when he said they were going to rotate a corner. Because these coaches always talk about rotating, and they never do it. And I didn't care what they did in the first two games. I thought by Oklahoma, Oklahoma, you can't be messing around, right? you got to be doing what yeah. you're doing. And I thought, okay, by then maybe you have guys locked in. They played a zillion receivers, and they played – Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore in a rotation until Gary on Conley got hurt and they had to play both Ward and Lattimore at the same time. And they played Arnett. And they played Damon Arnett. And did Kerry Combs not say something to you, Ari, along those lines? I think by the time this goes up, my story will be up so I can give it away. Okay. He pointed at me and said, you Cleveland.com boys didn't think that we were going to rotate. You put a story out there that, we didn't, that you didn't think we were going to. He was gloating. Yeah. No, I have a plan. <laughs> I am going to offer Kerry Combs the next time I see him. Uh, you guys can shoot the video. I'm gonna hope. I'm gonna offer him the chance, and I hope he accepts it. The chance to light me up <laughs> because I said I don't believe you, and then I wrote a story that said I don't believe you, and they did it. 
And that was the proof. Of, you're not messing around against Oklahoma. You cannot do anything at Oklahoma other than the thing every single play that you think gives you the best chance to win. And they believed – this is a long answer to a Jerome Baker question. Yeah. They believed that rotating Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward wasn't some kind of reward for the players, wasn't some kind of thing to keep them fresh for Week 11. It was the thing that gave them the best chance to win on the road against Oklahoma, an experienced quarterback. So, I think they'll rotate. Yeah. I think they will believe that their best chance to win is to include Jerome Baker in some sort of thing where I asked Jerome a lot about this in the preseason – in August, did it, did it, was it possible that he and Chris Worley could rotate? And he didn't, didn't think that was on the table. I think Baker has been good enough, but they are not going to just do away with Dante Booker. Dante Booker has not had the chance. They're not going to absolutely just put him on the bench. I think Luke Fickle will find a way to play four linebackers at three spots. Baker has now shown he can play either outside linebacker spot. I think you could rotate the three of those guys in the two spots around Raekwon McMillan and perhaps, as they believe they've done at corner, make your team better by rotating <clears throat> guys, which I never would have believed, but they're proving me wrong. Okay, I agree. I, I agree that the likely answer is rotation. The question was, will Baker start? So against Rutgers, real quick, yes or no, Dante Booker is healthy. Who starts, Booker or Baker? Ari. That's not a yes or no question. Booker or Baker, who starts? <laughs> Booker. Doug. Booker. I think Baker's going to start. <clears throat> but I think they'll both play. My hesitation was deliberate. I hope it's a rotation of Booker and Baker is going to be really annoying just because their names are so similar. And Burger. And Burger. Booker, Baker, Burger. Booker, Baker, Burger. Burger. Okay. Uh, let's see. I have another question that I think is worth answering. I think through three weeks, we might know maybe enough to answer this question. If we don't, we can skip past it. But uh, at Level 6 Sports asked, um, who we think is a bigger threat to Ohio State in the Big Ten right now, Michigan State or Michigan? Um, Michigan State 2-0, Michigan 3-0. Michigan State coming off a win at Notre Dame. Uh, Michigan has wins over Hawaii, Central Florida, and Colorado. Uh, So I'll ask Ari first, who do you think is a bigger threat to Ohio State in the Big Ten right now, Michigan State or Michigan? He was looking at Tinder. He was no, looking no, at no. Tinder. No. He should have been thinking. No, 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 no. I, I was like, I don't know. I haven't it's thought about true. it. It's not true. It's tough because Michigan State, I still think Michigan. I still think that um, the Jim Harbaugh Michigan boys by the end of the year, even though, because one's on the road uh, and one's home, um, then I think Michigan's going to be a better team by the end of the year than Michigan State. No, Michigan State just beat Notre Dame. Um, Michigan struggled a little bit with Colorado. But um, I still think the Wolverines are the, are the premier matchup that you need to be struggling for an Ohio State fan. I did not watch the Michigan State-Notre Dame game, so um, this is basically made up. Here's what I th- I think the Michigan State persona, whatever, the whole thing about them is a great antidote to Ohio State. It is, and as I've written before, it is the Jim Trestle version of football. It's the closest we get to see of another Urban Meyer-Jim Trestle matchup. And I think the question is, is, does Michigan State have the pieces to be Michigan State? If their quarterback is playing well, if they have a couple playmakers, I guess Donnie Corley had a good game at receiver. If they're good enough on defense, if they are good enough to be who they have been, then I think it's Michigan State. And, you know, we've written, is Michigan State more their rival than Michigan now? On the field, they have been the last couple years. So, to me, beating Notre Dame 
lets you know Michigan State is the same Michigan State they've been. And regardless of what Michigan is doing, if the Spartans are those Spartans, they're the toughest thing for Ohio State to deal with. Yeah, I agree. I think it's Michigan State, too, for most of the reasons you just said. And I watched Michigan State in the first week play against Furman. I think it was a Friday night game. Michigan State really struggled, and I thought to myself, like, oh, maybe this isn't the year for Michigan State. And then they go on the road and beat Notre Dame, and it was a pretty sound win. Um, yeah, I think I think Michigan State, with, with all the things they bring – that sort of mentality they have, certainly the talents there, they're well coached, the game's on the road. I think um, I would say Michigan State has a slight edge over Michigan, I think, right now is in that role as a threat to Ohio State. Um, I have another question from Black Stripe Blog, if you want to answer another question from them, unless or you have any you want to throw out. Minor nonsense, because that's the kind of, kind of uh, person that responds well to me, so we'll go ahead and do yours. <laughs> okay, we'll do one more. Um, again, from Black Stripe Blog on Twitter. Um, was Noah Brown's performance against Oklahoma a one-time deal, or do you think we'll see other performances like that? He caught four touchdown passes, so I don't know if he'll catch four touchdown passes again. But he looked like a, a guy, they threw the word uncoverable, uncoverable or unguardable around a lot with Noah Brown in the spring, which sounded ludicrous at the time. Oklahoma has the struggles at cornerback, could not cover him one-on-one. Um, so do we think that he's going to be that kind of tough matchup for teams moving forward, or was that game a one-off? I don't like the rotation at receiver. I want them to stop it. I want them to play Noah Brown 80% of the snaps. And the only thing that is that can cover Noah Brown right now is their desire to play other people instead of him. So that's all it was the first two weeks. Again, as Ari wrote after the game, we thought he was hurt how little he was playing. Yeah. So he still only caught five passes. And five isn't really only. But it's not like they were thrown to him up and down the field. No, he was like a red zone guy. Always, give, yeah. Let's give him 13 targets in a game and see what he does. You know, So I just think the only thing that has been shown to stop Noah Brown so far is Ohio State's lack of throwing to him. So I do not think it's a one-off. I don't think it's a one-off either. And I haven't gone, I've been breaking down like the targets each week, and I haven't broken it down yet with Oklahoma. But Noah Brown, I think, was first among the receivers, but like not first on the team. And I think he should probably be first on the team in terms of guys you're throwing the ball to. I know Curtis Samuels had a really good season. So far, but uh, from what we've seen from Noah Brown, he is big and strong and has really good hands, and he needs to be getting like ten targets a game, and they're not doing that right now. I feel now. like the entire like substitution, like rotation things in reverse because they always do it with receivers, and they never do it with the defensive guys. I think they actually should be doing it with the defensive guys this year, and they should not be doing it with the receivers. And I don't know. I seem to me, and you guys have mentioned this, but like they were really confused. It felt like the entire game at receiver. Did it seem like anybody had an easy time lining up in that game? No, I don't know. And what's like going for on. all the plays that they were making and the points they were scoring, it was unbelievable. Every every snap, it's like up tempo, and then there was a ten second delay of who's on the wrong side of the field. They burned three timeouts, I think, and like by with two minutes gone in the second quarter, they were out of timeouts. So I mean, I think that they've identified Noah Brown as their top receiver. They identified it verbally, then they showed it in the biggest game that they wanted to throw to him in the red zone. So now that you've identified the guy, then let him be what he is. And, um, you know, I, I think they're still waiting for guys like Paris Campbell to become consistent and stuff. I don't think there's much need to wait. I think that they've identified their guys, Curtis Samuel, Noah Brown, Mike Weber, JT Barrett. Those are your guys this year on offense. And, um, you know, I'm not saying other guys won't make plays, but I think it's time to start potentially leaning on the guys you know have it. I think it's a very good point. Um, all right, so we're nearing the end of Buckeye talk here. Again, the Buckeyes will not play on Saturday. This is their one-off week this season. They will then come back the following week and open uh, the Big Ten schedule against Rutgers. So as we wrap this up, guys, um, I think this is the final question right now. 
as people, not just us, but whether it's people in Ohio or people around the country in college football, we know Ohio State has not proven it on the field to the extent that Alabama has in terms of winning four national titles in seven years, but should Ohio State be viewed, if not 100%, but pretty much like Alabama in terms of thinking they're going to be good, they're going to be a national title contender every year just because of who they are, regardless of the specifics, regardless of the players they lost, the players they had back. Yes or no, based off what we have seen the first four years for Urban Meyer and the first three games of this year, Bill, is Ohio State basically at that same level as Alabama? Yeah, I think so. So just we won't basic yes or no, I think yes. Ari? Basic yes. Basic, yeah, man, <laughs> I can't believe we're saying basic. God, I hate that story. Basic <laughs> defense is the worst, and already did a, it's the worst story of the year. But I thought it's, I made a good play on words in the headline, though, calling yeah. you basic. I hate, God, I hate the basic story. Basically, yes. Basically, yes. Ohio State has reached the Alabama level, and I'll tell you, as someone trying to evaluate the team you cover and trying to get inside and really bring you guys some new information – to me, it is not as fun to say they're a contender just because of the name on their jersey and the talent on their team. Um, but unfortunately, they're that good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I really think that's where we are. And I'm sitting here with a 9-3 and three prediction on the record. And I don't mean to complain about covering an excellent team. I'm just telling you, like, I think it's fun to analyze and guess and have some mystery about what's ahead. And so if the greatest mystery is, are they going to lose in the semifinal, <laughs> lose in the title game, or win the whole thing, then I guess that's the case. I like it when it's like, maybe they'll do this, maybe they'll do that every week. You don't know if they're going to win or not. You know, I thought this schedule this year, with six or seven legitimate games, you'd have a bunch of weeks where you thought, man, this is really interesting. I don't know who's going to win. But I guess not. I guess they're just going to win every I think, game. And this I think, is coming from a guy that falls asleep with his laptop on his chest with collegefootballstats.com up on the page and a little bit of jelly on his cheek. And he likes that. Uh, so maybe you can go to bed early sometimes now, Doug. <laughs> I don't think, and I don't want this to turn into another 15-minute discussion as we wrap up. I think you're pretty much right. I don't think Oklahoma's that good. And that was a good win for Ohio State, but there are still games on this schedule that are going to be tougher games for them. Michigan State, Michigan Probably the only two. Maybe Wisconsin's not that good. Michigan State and Michigan are still going to be real games. I think real games we can analyze. I don't think Oklahoma's that good. And I think at the end of the year, we might look back and say, like, Oklahoma might have been the fourth best team they played this year. Because Oklahoma could have six losses by the end of the year. So that's why I was a little bit hesitant in the beginning of the podcast to say, yes, they've reached Alabama. If I had to give you a basic answer to your question, I can keep it basic. I would be able to go all in on a yes or no based on what happens this year. Okay, that's a good answer. I would be interested in a Bill Landis story under the headline, Why Oklahoma is Really Not That Good. If you want to break that down this week, yeah. I know you're going to a wedding later, but that would be interesting. I think it's a valid thing. You know, again, you can't look at a game and just say they won or lost. Every game, especially when they're so favored to win so many games, you have to tell, take that game and let not the score itself, but what happened in that game, what does it tell you about the rest of the year? That's what's interesting. So um, I think we have a lot of assumptions about what that Oklahoma game tells us about the rest of the year for Ohio State, but I would look forward to Bill Landis maybe even getting inside that a little bit for us. Okay, 
Even though there's no game this week, we, we brought you the Buckeye talk. We'll have coverage every day at cleveland.com. Again, the Buckeyes off this weekend and uh, Rutgers to open the Big Ten schedule. Thanks, as always, for reading at cleveland.com slash OSU. And for Ari, for Bill, I'm Doug. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk.